Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. So it's good to be back. We've had a, a good rest uh, from our work. And of course, the big news, I, I'm sure you've heard that Indigo uh, is has been born and she is healthy and beautiful and Hannah's healthy and still beautiful and Connor is still Connor. And so we're really... I, I got really excited for a second. Yeah, He's gonna you say didn't know that. So I'm really glad to be back. We thought we would start this next phase uh, in talking about how amazed and perplexed Amazing perplexed has shown up in our own life. In other words, as we look at our life, the things that kind of stick out to us of of parts that maybe we know now but really perplexed us then or things that amaze us now or things that amazed us then and kind of take that same lens because I just want to remind you what we are advocating is being able to be a learner and to have fresh eyes to look at the world and amazed and perplexed are the lenses we're suggesting to feel free to be blown away and not understand, or to be bothered and not understand, but to take that to God and allow that to be part of the ongoing learning process. So Connor will start in this particular episode. And so Connor, what I want you to do is just talk to us about, set it up specifically spiritually, kind of how were you raised? So when you think about here's how you got into adulthood, spiritually speaking specifically, Kind of share that with us. Sure. So my my spiritual origin story. There you, you go. So I was bitten by a radioactive Jesus spider, and I told <laughs> you that's not true. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> no. So yeah, I I grew up in your pretty typical Christian uh, American Christian home. Eight days old. You know, I was I was at church, and we were we were there pretty much every every chance we we could be and i always had kind of a general fascination with spiritual things if you have any familiar with the harry potter series in the fifth book the order of the phoenix there was a scene where one of the characters or not one of the characters the the characters come into contact with this um veil um veal i don't don't know how you say it um i like veil veil Veal is a... I know what veal is, but like I feel like I don't say it correct. Like I feel like there's like there's some other... I don't know. Anyways, because... This is part of the learning we're talking about. <laughs> the correct pronunciation is veil. Uh, to be fair, like I slept like four hours last night and it was a complete victory. And so fatherhood is amazing. It really... No, it really is. No, so... Uh, back to the veil. Yes, back to the veil. So in, in the Harry Potter series, there's this veil and, you, and the characters can hear dead relatives behind this veil and they can hear um, it's this very mysterious and there's the power of death around it and it's really interesting and I remember reading that at age like eight or nine and like going to my mom and like talking about it like and comparing it to you know to to the holy of holies and be like I wonder if there's if there's some sort of the author had some sort of 
comparison to this or was drawing on on that image and so i always was pretty fascinated uh, i was the annoying kid who always wanted to like have all the right bible answers and uh there was there were people that i grew up with that just annoyed the crap out of me because uh, they like they were just slightly quicker on those bible answers and they were slightly better on the memorization and so uh, I, I got baptized around 11 years old and it was all great and gravy and, and eventually i kind of had a falling away period as i as many, like many people do, as I went into middle school and high school and uh, my mother got breast cancer and uh, we kind of, that energy to get to church stopped being there. And, and we, we can talk a little bit later about some of the driving forces for why I didn't want to be at church. And ultimately around 17, 18 years old uh, in a crazy church camp experience, which I think I've shared on a different episode, uh, I kind of came back to Jesus and, and that that's what got me into adulthood and, and my walk with with Christ. And so grew up in church, got baptized, fell away in my early teenage years, came back. Those are the those are the bullet points. I really appreciate that. When you were talking about falling away, and that's a verse, you know, from Galatians five where that that's where that sentiment comes from. I without digging too deep into that context, I in my experience, when you're falling away that's that's how he described it from when you're experiencing that it's not so much you're falling away from Christ as you're drawn to something else mm. and I don't know how that would look and and especially through the amazing perplexed dynamic I wonder is there a part that perplexed you during that phase of life that that contributed to not being close to Christ in middle school and high school mm, that's really good yeah, I think this is one of the I think this is one of those things that has always drawn me to youth ministry because I had a I had this desire, I had this urge, I had these um these feelings of wanting to be amazed or being perplexed about something and not having an outlet for them and finding an outlet outside of the church and so my answer I think will kind of speak volumes for why I always have been drawn towards work with teenagers. But, but for me, I think this is one of those just common, common, almost universal experiences with um, young teenagers is that especially when you kind of grow up in a sheltered Christian home, when you leave that shelter for the first time and you encounter really like really crazy and incredible things and you go through puberty and you you experience these new things and you have friends that didn't grow up in the same context that you did that have different life experiences that have different families than you have that didn't grow up in the in the sheltered way that you grew up in a lot of times for a lot of people there's a lot of fear around that and it can lead to really bad things um, but for me there was a lot of amazement built up around like getting to know all these new kinds of people and getting to experience all these different ways of thinking and getting to be around just a different type of living, and I, I think this is one of the, this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about um, about this amazing perplexed mindset was for me, and, and I don't even know if I anybody told me this directly. I, maybe I just through osmosis took it in. I had this perception that to really partake or really admire or be a part of a group or a part of society, I had to necessarily walk away or forsake or look down upon um, Jesus or look down upon the, the Jesus way of doing things, or the church way of doing things. And I think one of the things that is so compelling to me about, about Jesus is that when you really begin to follow him and 
view everything you do through the, his lens, then you begin to see the beauty in all different experiences, in all different contexts, and all different cultures. And so, uh, this is one of those perplexing things for me that when I kind of walked away or when I fell away, there was this um, drawing towards all these other other way of other ways of doing things. And for me now, going back to Jesus, yeah, there's really unhealthy things that I, I was drawn towards that I, I am drawing away from, but there's a lot of other things that I can healthily draw to. I can healthily see, oh, that's how Jesus is in that. That's how God is working in that. That's how um, that that's how Jesus is in that. And so for me, that that was that that was one of, of many things. But that that that's something that's just kind of present in my mind today. I want to tell you one of the things I love about talking to you always, uh, but in in particular when we focus in on one facet, because our normal conversations we talk like this, but we are all over the place, and because if, other people listen, we want to at least stay in one thread. If if, our, if we were to chart our like our conversations non recorded, <laughs> it would be like. It would be like those uh, police shows where like the rogue cop is trying to track the killer by himself and you go into a secret creepy like basement and he's got uh, pictures and yes. news articles and there's red lines connected. <laughs> that, that, that's what our normal conversations yes, look like. Yes, if somebody had to graph our <laughs> conversations, that would be a, a never-ending job. But but I, one of the things I love is, and I, I experience with other with in other relationships too because it's God working in this, is as you're talking, I'm like, I am learning right now from God. And and here here's what I what I'm I'm processing as as you were commenting on this. When Jesus, when when people had their eyes open to see Jesus, they were constantly amazed and perplexed. The only reason they weren't amazed and perplexed is that they'd already made a decision not to pay attention to Jesus, but to be confident in what they thought he was. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why the Pharisees couldn't see and the many times the worst of sinners, at least in their viewpoint, could see you know, who he was. Now, we we look at that and we're like, the Pharisees are the bad guys, and they're so dumb. The Pharisees are us. Yeah. If we are not open to Jesus being amazing and perplexing. Now, here, here's what's interesting. I think we're wired to be drawn to being amazed and perplexed because when, when you say somebody amazes you, that means they're always surprising you. Mm. Now, think about that dynamic, and this is building towards a question. Yes. But but it's, it's that idea that, I believe I was raised in a church where they were trying to eliminate the surprises of Jesus mm-hmm. instead of saying, what will he do next? Because once you start, once that starts to become part of your theology that he makes all things new and you're not an old creature and you're always, every day you're leaving it behind, then you, you're going to have to change. Yeah. And I think churches, out of, out of good intentions, we, we try to narrow, we try to control, we try to make our message very simple, but walking with God is very ambiguous because our ways are not his ways. So, oh, that's really good. So here is, here's what, what I'm, one way to think about what you said is I'm looking at church and nothing, I'm not allowed to be amazed and perplexed. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at the world and I can be. Oh, that's good. That's good. So I feel safe and, and ironically, God hardwired you to be amazed and perplexed by him. But if you stop listening to him, and here, here's the ultimate irony, is that the church, like the world is going to, like the world is a place that you can do that, but the world's going to claim that there's no subjective truth to find. So if we're out there trying to discover and trying to do, like the world's going to say we can't find anything, like we can't find the ultimate truth, ultimate essence, um, ultimate reality, and 
we can find that in Jesus, but church can so often be a stifling process in that. Right. And and I think for so many people, they think that getting to truth, getting to um, getting to what God's will is, what His purpose is for our lives, it's that it's going to be this cut and dry process. That it's going to look like it looked for my daddy, and it's going to look. Uh, it's going to look like how it looked for my friend. And it's going to look like it's looked for the past 2,000 years. And there are going to be some through lines. There are going to be some similarities. What I think is so compelling to me about walking with Jesus and, and the ongoing relationship is that when I come up against a question, when I come up against like, let, let and I don't really struggle with this, but, you know, let's say that I, I for me, like I've. I grew up and I was like, there has to be a literal six day creation, a seven day creation. And if, and if it, if the earth wasn't created in exactly six to seven, 24 hour days, then my whole faith unravels. Um, when evidence comes against that or comes for it, my faith can go up and down, up and down, up and down. But if, if the firm thing that I hold on to is that Jesus Christ was the son of God who died for my sins and he loves me. And he, and he wants the best for me and he wants to know me and he wants me to know him. Then when those questions come, whether it's about scripture, whether it's about theology, I can be, I can be rocked by them, right? I can be, I can, you know, be confused and um, not sure what to do, but I'm not going to be overwhelmed. And when I have, when I'm living this amazing perplexed mindset out to its fullest, I could be excited about it. Mm-hmm. When I go, hey, I've had this idea about this is how things work with God, or here's a peripheral issue. Here's something, a theology issue that I felt pretty concrete about. And now somebody's presenting new evidence and says, hey, the way you thought about it is completely wrong. If I have a healthy mindset and I trust Jesus, I trust that Jesus is Lord, I can go, man, that's exciting that I get to learn something new. And, and mm-hmm. um, because if I'm not learning something new, if my mind is not being changed, if the Bible isn't revealing new things to me, not that the Bible is changing, but if I'm not seeing it through new lenses and new eyes, then I'm not seeing God because I cannot have the full picture of God like here and now. Like I do not have the emotional range. I do not have the imagination to comprehend the fullness and the complexity of God. And so the moment that I like stop coming up against the perplexion, man, that's the moment that I have made God in my image as opposed to being made in his image. And, and the thing that I want to say, now I, I just need you to know, I always, because of my background, I want to say, I want to make sure this is clear. We can have a discussion someday about the nature of creation. What you're saying is, and you're not saying every new idea I have to accept. Yeah. You're saying you're not teachable. I don't want to be clear. It's not that the other person is teaching you. It's that God might be teaching you something through them. Even if after you hear it out and pray about it, you only accept 1% of it or 90% of it, it it's the idea because you want to go back to the word and you want to say, God, does this fit? But I have had so many things in my life that, that including with you, that you say that and I'm like, I'm not sure. And then when I go back and read scripture, I'm like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. what I thought didn't fit. The Bible isn't changing. Well, so even like, let's say we're like, hey, two weeks from now, it turns out Jason and I have completely different views on 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 Genesis and, and mm-hmm. what, what creation is. And even if we walk away from it and I go, man, Jason is completely wrong. And you walk, man, Connor's completely wrong. There's not even a percent that I, I, I think he's right on. If we're open to what God can do, 
I can still learn something about you. Mm-hmm. And if I love you, which I should love you because you're made in the image of God and I'm commanded to love you, um, then that's going to be valuable, right? Absolutely. Exactly. And that and that's my point is, is this... This comes from my heritage where, but it's like in our culture, I heard you say a buzzword, now I've stopped paying attention. And, <laughs> and this is used as an example, but, but this is the point, is the nature of what God, let's take it to Jesus, what Jesus expected of his apostles was to perpetually be teachable because mm-hmm. he knew it was very hard for them. And we've covered a lot of that ground, but I want to put that back. So back to your journey, is there, are there some things that amazed you and, and we are not scripting any of this. I want to tell the audience. And so I want to prep you with, I want to then follow up with what now perplexes you. Okay. About about the journey, about, about, the about the journey, where you're at now, that kind of thing. So first amazed. And so then... yeah. So what I, what I want to say, what what amazed you that drew you to him? And you may have to recount some of the story, sure. but in general, because we, we made the case basically. Can I, can I, can I, can I, can yes. I go opposite perplex, what perplexed me go that ahead. ultimately go. drew me to him? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, my story, uh, when I came back to, to Jesus, my, I have three siblings. My parents have been married for 30 something years when I was 16 years old. Um, they, they, they got divorced or was I 16 or 17? It doesn't matter. Uh, they they got divorced and they split up and I was living with my mom and I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad and it was it was pretty devastating. Came out of completely left field, and for me, uh, I was not walking with God at this time and I was just so broken and so lost and I didn't know it at the time. I I, I thought there was nothing coming of it. I thought that this was just the ultimate evidence of of brokenness and the pointlessness that's that's the word it felt so pointless it felt so pointless for 30 years of marriage to be to be done with for um the trauma that my parents went through the trauma that i went through and that my siblings went through to happen it just felt so meaningless and i remember thinking if there is a god why would a god allow this i mean you want to talk about buzz stuff like why would god allow this marriage to 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 end the amazing part to me now is that this incident my parents getting divorced is a clear clear way that god drew me back to him and so over the course of about a year after my parents got divorced i didn't know it at the time but god was preparing me for having a desire a realization that i needed an earthly father and it all culminated in the night i think we talked about um at at church camp when i embarrassed myself and i mean i saw how low i was and how great god was and and all that fun stuff Um, but for me i i remember when i walked through the process of of processing my parents divorce and separation and the breaking up of my family and it really was the breaking of my family like my my siblings um they all kind of, we all kind of scattered um away as we processed through our different trauma and our different links through it when I was walking through it, it seemed like there could be nothing that would ever come of it that was worth anything. In fact, I remember telling my mom when I was 16, I was like, can we please just move somewhere else? Can we leave the city? Can we get out of here? Because there's so much pointlessness and brokenness. Can we just be done with this? And it's so clear to me now, God was using my parents' failing marriage to draw me to, draw me to him. Um, and the fact that God can can do something like that out of brokenness can use uh, what you would think would be a pretty unredeemable situation. And I think 
in a lot of people's church backgrounds would be an unredeemable situation to be a rescuing event for me, to be a a catalyst uh, and and not like a catalyst of like, oh, I never want to be like my parents and I never want to do this. And so I'm going to turn to Jesus, but in a, um, and just a really healthy and whole way uh, for me, that perplexion to amazement journey is, is pretty incredible. And, and what I love about this is what you're talking about. If we, when we look at people in the Bible, we're very challenged not to idealize at all. Like assuming, yeah, sure, David knew he'd be king when he was a shepherd, or you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. the apostles knew how it all worked out. And it's ironic because God goes to great lengths to show they didn't know. <laughs> they yeah. didn't know. And yet, so it's hard for us at times to see ourselves in those roles and then get that, get the message that do you see why they were successful is because of God. That even in their worst mistakes, they kept they kept reaching and he is faithful even when we're faithless, according to Paul in First Timothy. And this dynamic is playing out, has played out in your life, and it will continue to play out in your life. But that that to me is the beauty of this. Like my my point there is God's not afraid of you of you being perplexed. Mm. God will use your being perplexed. It is better for me to not pretend I trust in God and to talk, not just to say everybody else, you know what I mean, but to spend time with God saying, I don't even believe you're there, Mm -hmm. than to pretend I believe he's there. Yeah. Because now you're talking honestly and you're, you're open to him. But at the end of the day, if you keep open to God, he will connect with you. And, and I think where we our biggest obstacle at times is we consider this an all or nothing. Either I'm super faithful or he has nothing for me, you know. And I could say he doesn't exist or I'm not worthy or, or however I talk about it. But I think finding that space in the middle, Jesus shows again and again, including in the book of Revelation when he's talking to the seven churches, he's like, all of you, well, most of you, have real problems. And I want to point that out. And they're not good, but they're not my rejection. I'm telling you this, mm. this stuff that perplexes you, I will work through that very thing. And, and to well, me, that's I, the message of the Bible. Yeah, it's the message, message of the Bible, and it's the message of the letters. Like, how much of the letters are, like, Paul or anybody else, like, criticizing these churches, getting things wrong? And it's this is—I used to be so frustrated by the letters, but some, I can't remember who who put the correct—put this framing on it for me. But the fact that one of the main ways that God chooses to communicate— this good news is through um, <laughs> reprimands, is through correction, is through showing that these raw, new, close to the source Jesus communities are continually not getting it right. Um, for me, that is such a, that was such a mind-blowing framing. It, it, it's so helpful because when we when we go to the scripture and we like you said we idealize and we go we got to get back to the, we got to get back to the original church we got to get back to this and that and I'm not saying that sentiment's not a good idea but it's like do we really want to get back to <laughs> do we really want to get back to some of some of those original the way some of the original um, churches come off in the letters mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly and that's the key a lot of times we use generic things and not think it through we say well in in our heritage you know um well we want to be first century church people and i'm like so you mean jewish christians where we're going to the temple still or um you know and some of the practices they have 
or we talk in the Christians in Antioch or the Christians in Corinth with you know problems they had and and so this dynamic and but it also says that in a, in a back in a way Jesus is not enough and I think that that that's because of that dynamic we don't see Jesus as fresh and alive every day. Mm. Terry Rush would say, you look like you're walking with a living God, meaning you look like you believe in the wonder of God today. You look like uh, you're walking with a God that's amazing and always doing new things. And it's it's the opposite of what I was raised to fear new. It's the opposite of, oh, we're not respecting the Word of God. It is the ultimate respect of the Word of God to know that the Word is living and active. And then as we experience life, we're going to go back and say, oh, now I understand this concept so much better. And we're always, the transformation process that's spoken about in the Bible is, I mean, it's, it's that adage, we all want to grow, but we don't want to change. And this is like entrusting God to lead us in that change. Speaking of the word, you know, we're talking about seeing ourselves in Scripture, and I'm curious if there's any any passage that that has resonated with you. Maybe we've talked about it before or haven't. Uh, that that kind of fits, you know, how you see. I don't know. It has a correlation to your life in some way. Yeah. So I I think we touched a little bit on this in maybe a third or fourth episode when we did the prodigal son. And it, it's this verse, it's this line that I think is the most, one of those haunting, heartbreaking, most beautiful passages in, in all of scripture. Uh, this is the, the father figure in the parable of the prodigal son. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And th- this is in response to the older son who's petty and angry because the younger son is getting a party thrown for him because he went off and squandered the wealth of the father and, and has now come back and the father is totally forgiving and has um, has made a fool of himself and his excitement for it. And, and for, me, um, for me, this shows up so often in my life where... I am angry towards God because I feel like he has not shown up in the way that I expected him to show up or that I thought he was going to show up or I thought he should show up. So often I have had this expectation and this um, almost demand that I I knew how God was supposed to act in this situation and I and it, it didn't happen that way. And it and then I saw somebody else get what I thought I deserved or I thought I had earned or I had thought that God would give me out of his grace and, and, I, and I didn't get it. It's so haunting and so beautiful because for the older son, the father is telling him, listen, you've always had access to this. Like you are sitting out here pouting, not taking part, not being a part of the party because you feel like you've been deprived. You feel like you haven't gotten what what's your worth but this has always been available to you you could have always been at the party but you're you've chose you have chosen to be patty you have chosen to be selfish and chosen your own way and chosen to not be here not to take part not to enjoy and not to be with me and i think i think that reality um man i think that reality is is so that that pops up so often in my life where I think God looks at me and he goes, like, Connor, like, you've chosen not to be at the party. You've chosen to take a step out. Like, the party, like, you just have to walk through that door. It's available to you. And for me, it's this beautifully hopeful passage. 
Um, and, and something I just keep coming back to because there will be these senses, these times where I just get so down and I get so, um, angry and, and so depressed at, at, at where God has put me, um, and, and where I find myself. And I just, this, this line just keeps, keeps coming back to me that everything I have is yours. It's always been there and I always be there. And this pops up when I look back at the story and I go, okay, yeah, God has shown me throughout my life that he was always there for me. And all I had to do was take a step into the door and, and into the party. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, in the past couple of years, that's been a, that's been a really big one for me. Uh, that is what I love about that is, uh, we've talked about this story quite a bit and that has not resonated with me the same way. And it, and if party doesn't speak to you, as you as you hear what Connor's saying, just imagine something that is life giving to you, you yeah. know. But but for him to say you have access to this life giving dynamic all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and and just the I don't know the the wasting of it because yeah. we we still have choice even as a saved person. I can choose how much life God gives to me um, by disconnecting or connecting. That is that is really good. Yeah, it shows it shows up outside of even in, in spiritual things, and I think everything is spiritual. And so, you know, when I say outside of spiritual, I mean not overtly the commonly accepted. Yes, yes, yes. What yes. we call secular things. Uh, yeah. But there are so many times where I, I look with my with my wife and my family, and I and I go, I have. I have chosen to be miserable in this situation. I have chosen to remove myself and not be happy. I've chosen to dwell on this one issue. I've chosen to dwell on this one slight. And I, I've seen that happen for so many people where we get hung up on this these these one this one thing, this this one hang up in a relationship, this one um failing in this other person, and it becomes this um it becomes this hindrance into into inviting them into the party or um or taking part in in their thing, and uh, man, for me, this just this shows up so so often, and it it, it feels so childish because I think we all have that memory as a kid of like we got our feelings hurt, and so all of our friends are off playing at recess, but nobody invited us, and so we're gonna sit you know and pout on the sideline until you know somebody somebody says something to us or somebody invites us or we get what we want or until somebody notices. And I I think this is one of those things God God has always noticed and God has always invited. And if we, if we notice, if we look around, then we will see the evidence of, of that reality that not only is the party, the dance, the relationship, not as it all, not only, not only has it always been available, God has always been inviting us. God has always been putting it out there as a possibility. And for me, uh, there's heartbreak in that, that I spent so often, so much of my life not going to the party, you know, taking a step away from it. Um, But there's also beauty in it because I look at the overarching theme of my life and go, you know, we ha- I needed to have the falling away period. I needed to have that step and I needed to, ha- it needed to happen the way that it happened. Um, and I needed to enter back into the party in the way that I, way that I did. And so, I mean, that's, that's a continually amazed and perplexed sort of thing of like, man, it would have been really nice to have, not have a lot of that heartbreak, but I needed that heartbreak to mm-hmm. be with Jesus. And that's a yes. whole, that's a whole other thing. Right. Well, as we, as we wrap up and I need you to know, I have now three more questions. I'm like, so what about this? And what about that? So I am using what they call self-control uh, in my speech. Never heard of it. <laughs> which is a learned behavior. I'm still a novice at. Uh, final thoughts 
uh, what would you, it, kind of thinking back on this, and I don't want to even direct your thoughts, I'm just saying, what, what are, is there something you'd like to conclude with? Yeah, I think uh, I had a tendency when I was younger, and I'm 25 now, and so maybe 25 is younger for you, maybe it's really old for you, I don't know. I don't You're know. <laughs> I don't know the context. I don't know. I don't know you, listener, and except that I do. So you'd have to tell me individually. Um, but I'd have the tendency to go, oh, I went through a, my parents went through a divorce at so-and-so age. I went through this exact scenario and it benefited me in this way or I handled it in this way and I should have handled it in that way. And I try to compare people one-to-one. And especially if I've gone through it, it's so easy to go, oh, this person's parents went through a messy divorce and so I have a one-to-one comparison with them and so I can that gives me license to judge it gives me license to feel like I have you know the voice of God in in this situation and I I mean I would just say one of the things that I've I've continually learned and this goes along with the amazing perplex dynamic is that I do not have a one-to-one comparison with if one-to-one doesn't speak to you I do not have the same exact experience as anybody any any one person there is no there are no two people that are exactly like here on earth and there are no two lived out experiences that are exactly um, the same here on earth. And so for me, I, I hope when I, when I said these things that like it didn't come across at all like, oh, I found God in this way. And so maybe for you, you know, like it's 20 years later after your parents got divorced and you see nothing good came of it. I don't want you to hear that like, well, that. I then Connor thinks you're a bad Christian. I certainly don't think that. Yeah, you're not saying shame on you for not having. Yeah, the journey, my th- this is one of the things why I so covet other people's stories because for me, my story is is wholly unique um, and special to me, and I can learn just as much from somebody telling me the story of how how. <laughs> How, I, man, this is really. I think this is really important. I can learn so much from a story of almost no good coming from a divorce that can be almost just as beneficial and just as um as helpful for me and so that that would just kind of my closing thought i think that's that's a tremendous observation and, and certainly our intention is not that but i can i think that's really good catch i interviewed a lady for this last sunday's uh sermon who whose husband died from covid like six weeks ago and one of the things that she's only six weeks in the grieving process, which when you're grieving a spouse you've been married to for, you know, I don't know, 50 years, uh, you're going to, it's going to be a process. And she knows that and she even says the worst is yet to come. But she wanted to make sure I said, this is not advice giving. This is someone vulnerably sharing their journey. And we trust the Holy Spirit to work so that you can learn from it away, you know. Yeah. But as soon as you feel judgment, oh, no, my journey isn't their journey. That's that's from the devil. That judgment, you know yeah. what I mean. And so this is this is our our process of saying, um, when you hear us talking about a passage or you've heard us and been confused, hopefully this helps add some context. Hopefully it helps mm-hmm. add some uh, perspective for why we think the way we think and why we've arrived at some conclusions that we've arrived to. And even if you don't agree with them, even if you vehemently disagree, I, I think why 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 we are doing this is is hopefully it will help provide some. Um, some perspective to go oh man that's how connor why connor and jason are so messed up True. i won't speak for you but this is why connor is so messed up good well and you're at your chance to make that assessment uh next week uh when connor interviews me i do want to say i have so much to that i've learned um but the biggest thing is i'm amazed and perplexed even man i know so much of what you said and yet i've learned new 
And that to me is amazing, amazing and perplexing. And so we just want to thank you for tuning in and would like to, we'd love to hear your story. And so as you kind of listen to ours, think about that because many people think they don't have a story. And I think it's important that you know you do. Grace, peace, and love.